we do want to let you know that next Sunday uh, is our all-church picnic that before COVID was an annual event. Uh, and then when COVID came, we kind of had to stop doing that for a little while. But we brought it back last year. And we, when we brought it back last year, it was still that time frame where we were concerned about people being inside. So we had it outside. And it was one of the, to me, it was one of the craziest things we ever had. We had this big stage up here and we had a few hundred of you and nobody sat near the stage. You all sat under the shade tree, all right? Everybody like pushed back, those of you who are here. And, and so this year we decided due to do the heat wave that we've been having and the possibility that it might happen again. And since we have this beautiful 20,000 square foot life center, we're gonna have an indoor picnic, all right? No ants, air conditioned, we invite you to come and be a part uh, next Sunday and come for the service at 11. Stay afterwards out in the Life Center. We're going to have hamburgers and hot dogs and brats and beans and coleslaw and kids. The bounce houses, this is, are you ready for this? The bounce houses are inside the Life Center. Mom and dad, they won't even get sweaty uh, because it's all in the air conditioning. So uh, we hope you'll come and be a part. Um, we told the folks who are at 9 o'clock, so I want to go ahead and tell the people who are online, we will stream this 11 o'clock service. The service will be in here uh, in the worship center. And so that service will be streamed for those of you who watch us online or if you catch us on demand, it will be up uh, shortly after the service per normal. Well, man, I hope that you'll plan to be here with us next Sunday. I also hope that you've made it through this week without being too scarred. It's been quite a week. In fact, in the last five or six days, it feels as if a lot of the things that have been moving and shifting in our culture have just kind of all suddenly taken new form and new fashion and, and the division and the, and the separation that's between people seems to have accelerated even more. And today, I, I want you to know that, that I've chosen to titled this particular sermon as a part of our Untoxic series, Worshipful People or Worshiping People. Now, it's not a sermon about how to have worship. <laughs> it, this isn't about whether or not you're from a liturgical background or the free church background. It isn't about whether you like hymns or you like praise choruses if you're still fighting that war. It, it, it isn't about whether or not you come into a place with stained glass or a place that looks like a warehouse. It, it's not, uh, that's not about what we're talking about. What we're talking about is, is what it means to put Jesus Christ in the center of your life. Because as the Apostle Paul was talking to the church in Colossae in the first century, he was helping them deal with, with a situation where there was this heresy among them a heresy that had blended several kind of religious traditions together and then was trying to say to the, the new Christians who were a part of this, this Christian revolution that was taking place in the first century, hey, you know, believing in Jesus is fine, but you need more than just believing in Jesus. You need to do these things and these things and these things. And, and so when the, the word came to Paul while he was in prison that, you know what, these people that you don't even know, have learned about this Jesus that you preach about. And they've become followers of Jesus and now there are these people who are coming around and they're trying to divide them by the things they're saying and the things they're adding to the gospel. Then, then Paul wrote this letter that we've been exploring for the last couple of months now. 
And so when we start talking about what it means to be untoxic, worshiping people, what we're talking about is being people who have placed Jesus Christ at the center and we've not placed anything or anyone else at the center of what we're doing. Because you see, I've, as I've been working this series on being untoxic, I've, I've come to a, a better understanding of what it means to be toxic. Because there, there are a lot of toxic things that happen in the world. And here's how you know what toxicity does. And it's how you recognize a toxic person or a toxic situation. You see, toxicity always divides. To toxicity divides people from people. Toxicity divides races from each other. Toxicity divides people based on gender. Toxicity divides people based on, based on their political views. Toxicity says that your difference from me and my difference from you is so vast and so distinct that there can be no coming together of us as people of God. But untoxic. Untoxic steps into that toxicity and it says, no, no, there is a better way. There is a better way to do this, and that way is the Jesus way. That way is the following, not of a cultural Jesus or a created Jesus, but of a Jesus that we find in the New Testament. And that's why Paul writes to these people, and he says, listen, there's some things you need to know about who Jesus is. And when you learn those things, then you become a person of health. You, be, you become an untoxic person and you speak into the world around you with that kind of untoxic life. And, and to be very honest with you, it's, it's this toxicity is something that we really have to address in order to make sure that we are people of health and not ill health. Because the enemy of our soul is constantly using toxic people in toxic situations to bring division into the body of Christ. For instance, even the passage I want to read for you this morning from Colossians chapter 3, it contains within it three statements that you, some of you, if you've been in church, you've, you've heard these statements made without without the context in which Paul said them. In fact, you've heard each one of these statements separately. L let, me, let me read them for you so that you get an idea of what I'm talking about. Ask yourself this. Have you heard this, this statement? Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Okay, have you heard that? Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts or Christ's peace be with you. See, when, when you take that out of the context in which it was written, you begin to think that, well, you know, that, first of all, may the peace of Christ dwell in your heart. It's like, okay, for me. But the fact is, in the context, what, what Paul's doing is he's talking to an entire group of people in this city of Colossae. I mean, that, that you, the peace of Christ, dwell in your heart, it's a plural thing. I mean, honestly, if it was really written correctly from where I'm from, it would be the peace of Christ dwell in y'all, all right? It'd be like all y'all, all right? B because it's a plural kind of concept. In fact, when I was a kid, my father pastored a church in Southern Illinois, and I discovered that there are, uh, there's another version of, of y'all. Uh, I mean, the, the, the Kentucky, the Tennessee, the Mississippi version of y'all that I heard. No, there's another version. You know what that version is? That version is Ewan's. So, yeah, Ewan's, Ewan's. It's, that's an all-inclusive term. Ewan's come over here, all right? Um, and, and, and where I grew up, you know, it was, it was y'all. Uh, but, but in this Greek text, it's the plural 
And, and it, it's your, may the peace of Christ dwell in your. What, what Paul's wishing for, what Paul's praying for, what Paul's placing on these people is, is look, let, let the peace of Christ dwell inside you as people of God. See, if we're going to be untoxic people in a divided world where the toxicity is separating people based on, on all the different things toxicity can separate us on, then we have to understand that being together, being unified in Christ, it's more than collaboration. Unity in Christ is much more than you and me being different and just getting along with each other. Huh? I mean, can't, remember the, the phrase a couple of years ago, can't we all just get along? No, we can't. Just be real honest with you. We can't all get along based on all our effort. There's only one way we can all get along. That's if the peace of Christ dwells in our heart. And that peace of Christ, actually that's the Hebrew word shalom, which means wholeness. It's not just the absence of conflict. And, and so that scripture's been pulled out. And, well, here's another one, another phrase. Maybe, maybe you've heard this phrase as well. Um, oh, this, this one's always been fun in the life of the church, okay? Uh, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs which, that with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Back during the worship wars in the 90s, I heard, I heard entire sermons on that hymns, spiritual songs, praises to God. I, I, I read books. People, people led conferences. This is, the, this is the prescription for how we're supposed to worship. And so every Sunday, somebody's checking off. Do you have a hymn? Do you have a spiritual song? Do you have a praise to God? No, no, that's not what Paul's talking about. Not when you read it in connection to the verses around it. Not when you read it in connection to the attempt he's making to break the heresy. This is not a prescription for liturgy. This is a prescription for life. What, what Paul's doing is, is he's saying, listen, when you worship, when you worship, because you have this peace of Christ in your heart, because as the people of God, you're healthy rather than toxic. You're untoxic and you speak into the ill health of the world with the health of Christ, then, then, then here's what you've got. You, you've got to not just simply pull some verse or some phrase out of the Bible and use it as a slogan or as a, as a ball bat to beat somebody over the head with. No, you, you've got to figure out what, what is the Spirit of God saying to the people of God in that passage. Oh, and here's another one. Oh, you'll like this one. Some, some of you would really like this one if you're an employer, if you own a business right now, um, because everywhere I go, I see signs that say help wanted or we're closing on this day of the week because we can't get enough help or, or our hours have been reduced. L listen to this one. Maybe you've heard this one also, again, pulled and used just isolated. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I heard that one used, books written about it, on a work ethic, a Christian work ethic, in everything you do, all right? So, I mean, and one of my favorite, one of my favorite old stories from Preachers Gone By had to do with uh, D.L. Moody up in Chicago back at the turn of the 19th into 20th century, this revivalist who was preaching. And one of the gangsters in the early 20th century, one of the, one of the gangsters in Chicago came to a, a, a Moody crusade. 
And, and when the altar call was given, he, he came down to the altar and, and, and he gave his life to Jesus. And Moody had been preaching on how to be all that you were created to be, being the best person you can be. And so this gangster, when he got up on the altar, looked at him and said, I'm going to be the best gangster for Jesus that I can be. And Dr. Moody wrote and said, I don't think that's what I was talking about. You know? but, but this whole concept that, that do everything you do, it's about more than just your work ethic. Now, when you take those three things together, however, when you begin to, to, to put them together and you read them in the context of what Paul is saying, where he's been talking about these virtues of what it means to follow Christ, when he's been talking about the, the things that you used to do that you don't do anymore, and then he launches into this passage. Let, let, me, let me read them all connected for you and, and see if perhaps that makes a difference in your hearing. You see, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Jesus. See, when, when you put those things together, suddenly you, you understand that what Paul is trying to say is in the face of the toxicity of the world around you, be the untoxic person. In the face of the ill health in our world, be the, be the person of health. Be the person who's, who's moved from being self-centered, who's moved from being centered in your culture, who's moved from being centered in your political party, who's moved from being centered in your way of looking at the world, and instead be Christ-centered. Let your life be Christocentric is the big theological word and when you do that he's not just talking about us as individuals it's not enough just for one of us to be christ-centered or another of us to be christ-centered no no it's about all of us being christ-centered oh and by the way if we individually are christ-centered then we're going to move in our relationship with Jesus Christ to the place where we're willing to say to him, control my life. Don't just save me from my sins, but actually let your spirit live in me. I'm going to, as I talked with you about a couple of weeks ago, give control of my life over to you completely. And when you do that and the Holy Spirit begins to take control of your life, now suddenly unity, which is more than collaboration, begins to be a reality. Because now the same Holy Spirit, there's one Lord, one God, one Father of us all, one Spirit, one Savior. And if, you are, if you're Christocentric, if you're, if you're putting your life centered around Jesus, then what happens is as you're centered around Jesus and you allow his Spirit to begin to work inside of you, then his Spirit at work in you is also at work in the person next to you who's also Christocentric. 
And so it's not a matter of you deciding we're going to be friends and we're going to collaborate. No, no, it's, it's a matter of the same God at work in both of you, creating in you a brand new way of looking at the world. A way where the peace, the wholeness, the shalom of God is at work in your heart. And it's a way in which the, the word of Christ dwells in you richly. So that everything you do, whether it's in word or in deed, everything, your attitude, your thoughts, everything is centered in Jesus and that begins to create health. And that health changes the ill health of the world around us. So this morning, I, I thought it might be important for us, given all the separation and anxiety and conflict going on around us, to hear again what God desires for his people since we call the name of Jesus. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning and you're listening to us online or you're here on campus, then, then, then I understand what I'm talking about sounds entirely impossible to you. But for those of us who have bowed the knee to Jesus, for those of us who have been willing to say to him, you take control of my life, I really want to say to you, it's possible. And to those of you who are thinking it's impossible, there's this thing you need to know about what Jesus said you see, he makes all things new. And that means all of us and every situation. And so this morning, I, I want us to look at those, those three verses from Colossians 3. And, and I want us to look at them in this context of how do we become Christocentric people? How do we become worshiping people who are untoxic. The first thing I want to call to our attention is this. Worshiping people are centered in the word of God. The word of Christ is the way he talks about it. Worshiping people are centered in the word of Christ. Now, when I say that, there's some of you who are like, okay, pastor, I get it. This is, this is the Bible, and this is the word of Christ, and, you know, we do all you know. No, listen. When Paul wrote these words to the people in Colossae, your New Testament had not been written yet. When he wrote these words to the people in Colossae, most of them were not Jewish believers who understood the Old Testament. So when he's saying, when you richly dwell in Christ and you dwell in the word of Christ, he's not talking about your sword drill when you were in Sunday school as a kid. He's not talking about idolizing the Bible itself. No, what he's talking about is what the Bible's here to teach you. Because you see, from Genesis in the Old Testament all the way through the book of Revelation in the new, end of the New Testament, this entire book is written with one purpose. John actually tells us about it in his gospel. It's written, he says, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. That's why he wrote down everything he wrote down. That's why Paul wrote everything he wrote. That's why the Holy Spirit inspired the, the, the scriptures from beginning to end. It's so that you and I would know 
who Jesus is, because if we know who Jesus is, then we know he's the Christ. And if he's the Christ, if he's the Messiah, then he lets us know who God is. You see, worshipful people, people who know how to worship God in spirit and in truth are people who stay so centered on Jesus that it really doesn't matter what liturgy, it really doesn't matter what method, it really doesn't matter what culture you're in. You can sense and know when Jesus Christ is being lifted up. It's not about how many verses of the Bible you know or how many church services you've been to. It's about do you know Jesus? And that phrase, may the word of Christ, look at, look at it again. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. What's he talking about? These were people who had been told by Epaphroditus who had learned from Paul that Jesus of Nazareth was the Son of God. So this phrase, the Word of Christ, is a descriptive phrase about the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what he's saying is, if you want to be untoxic, if you want to be healthy, if you want to live in a world that is toxic and unhealthy and not get stained by the toxicity, not get separated by the toxicity, then you've got to learn what it means to dwell richly in the peace, the wholeness of Christ. And the way you do that is to dwell in such a way that you let the gospel, the story, the good news, the word of Christ dwell in you. What does that look like, Pastor? Well, it means that you spend some time remembering how much Jesus loves you. I, I was talking with a friend this week, and, and they were telling me a story. Maybe it's your story, too. Maybe it's, it's been something in your life as we're coming out of this pandemic, this global pandemic. My, my friend was telling me that, you know, I kn I've been vaccinated. I've had booster shots, I've worn a mask, I've stayed six feet, I've tried everything to be healthy and to, and to keep everybody else healthy, and, and now as some of the restrictions have lifted and, and I've gone back into public places, most, most of the time I'm fine, Pastor, most, most of the time I, I think I'm right, but, but every once in a while, just, just every once in a while, I'll be at the grocery store or I'll be somewhere and, and there's a crowd of people and suddenly my anxiety level, maybe it's not happened for you, it has for me, for me it's elevators, okay? I mean, I've been like in, in buildings and hotels and places, and I'm on the elevator, and I am just fine, thank you very much, because it's just me and Becky in the elevator, or it's just me. But then that thing stops at another floor. And when it stops at another floor and the door opens, and there are people I've never seen before, I don't know their name, I don't know where they've been, I don't know who coughed on them two minutes ago, I don't know. And I'm confessing, I'm just confessing. I have on at least a couple of occasions looked at them, smiled, and reached over and hit that close the door button. Like, stay out of my elevator. This is my elevator. Don't, 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 don't get near me. And my friend was telling me that, that when, when it happens to them in like, the, in, in like the grocery store or some other place, when that anxiety starts coming up, so what's starting to happen for them the, the, the last few months as they've prayed about it, as God's been working in their life, here, here's what's happened. When that anxiety starts rising, they suddenly start remembering Scripture that they learned long before they had ever heard of COVID-19 
Or they start remembering songs that they sang as a child or that we sang in worship the, the week before or something that happened for them. See, what, what happens is this. When you, when you dwell in the word of Christ, the understanding of the good news, the gospel of Jesus, and that Jesus is with you everywhere, then what God does is he demonstrates his presence with you by calling to mind. Maybe, I mean, for me, it's the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I mean, that whole psalm just rolls into my mind. It may not be the whole thing. It may just simply be that part about, hey, he restores me. Or it may be that part about, hey, you know, um, he leads me in paths of righteousness. Or sometimes it's that even if I'm in the valley of the shadow of death, I don't have to be afraid. He's with me. See, I don't know what it is in you. I don't know what you're, maybe it's the 103rd Psalm. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and remember not, forget not all of his benefits, how he forgives my iniquity, how he heals my diseases, how he is the one who redeems my life from the pit. See, I, I, I don't know which scripture is. Maybe, maybe it's just, you know, you're just like a John 3, 16 guy, you know? <laughs> it's just like, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall never perish. I don't know what scripture is. I don't even know what song it is. I know for me, sometimes the songs go all the way back to my childhood. Because see, my mother was a piano player and my daddy was a first tenor. And they used to sing in Southern Gospel Quartets. And which meant that my father would preach at the church he was pastor of on Sunday morning. Pack my brothers and my mother and I into a car or a church bus or something and drive somewhere to the western Kentucky or western Tennessee, way out in the middle of like the sticks, okay? I mean, some of you have never been to places like this. Some of you are from places like this. And I'm going to remember as a kid, you know, I mean, you're grabbing lunch at some place on the way and you're praying they're going to have a potluck because then you're going to eat really well. And then you get, you get out to that church and then they're singing all afternoon. Then my mom and dad pack us back up into the car and get back to the church in time for my dad to preach the Sunday night service. Then we'd all go home and crash, right? And uh, actually at my house, the reward was my dad would go get hamburgers or hot dogs, actually Coney dogs from Dairy Queen, all right? And we go home and watch the Audie Murphy Western Theater. <laughs> Every Sunday night after we had done one of those. But can I tell you something? I, as a kid, I'm like, I wish I was doing anything but this. But there are sometimes now, there are sometimes now when uh, I'm on one of those elevators and I start to hear those old songs. Or, or through the pandemic uh, and, and here now, it's, it's the songs that we're singing now. Because you see, we, we plan these services, we choose these songs early in the week, and, and I walk a lot uh, since the pandemic started. It's kind of how I chose to stay sane. And when I walk, I listen to scripture and I listen to the music we're gonna sing on Sunday morning. And, and you know, it, it's that, that song we just sang earlier. I cannot tell you, you know, you're the goodness of God, your goodness is running after me. I mean, through, through, through the last couple of years, those kind of lyrics, those kind of words, they've kept me, they've kept me in his word. 
They've let the word of Christ dwell in me. What I'm saying to you, my friend, is this. You, if you really want to be untoxic, if you really want to be healthy, you've got to come to this place where you're so centered in Jesus Christ that when the anxiety starts to rise, you've already got his word hidden in your heart. You've already got his word in the songs you sing. Not because of anything except when that anxiety comes. He's able to speak into you. And, and again, it's this concept that worshiping people, now get this, they have relationships marked by accountability and gratitude. So what are you talking about, Pastor? I mean, look, look at the scripture. Teaching, after we dwell in the word of Christ, dwells in us, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now, I want you to look at that word, teaching and admonishing. See, you, you've got to have some people in your life, some people that you love and you know love you. This does not work. We, we've tried to force this in the church. This does not happen if you try to force people into it. It doesn't happen if, if somebody mandates, you have to be nice to you, this person. And they have to be nice. It doesn't work that way. But if you've got a relationship with people, if life has put you next to somebody, uh, up, in, uh, up in East Tennessee, there, there's a place called Gatlinburg. Some of y'all been there, right? Another little place called Pigeon Forge next to it. And some of the restaurants that you go in there, they're going to sell you polished rocks. They, they call them polished stones, right? Do you know how they polish the rocks? Maybe you've seen it. They put rocks, bunch of rocks, in a, in a barrel. They spin the barrel so fast that the rocks bounce off each other and they actually polish each other. There's not some guy sitting around going, each little rock like this. Right? I'm going to polish this rock. No, no, that's not what's happening. What's happening is a bunch of rocks get put into the barrel. The barrel gets spun at such a wet level that the, the friction between the rocks actually smooths out the rocks and makes them look better than they did before. And if that word you means y'all or youans, then what Paul's talking about here is that in the body of Christ, we don't need anyone to take the job to say, well, it's my job to correct you, all right? Because I used to have one of, the, one of the most toxic people I've ever met in my life used to walk through the church building going, you sinned and you sinned. And, and I'd say, what are you doing? Well, God made me a fruit inspector. I said, you are not the fruit inspector. It's the Holy Spirit. Well, I'm just inspecting for the fruit of the Spirit. I can tell you something. I looked at him and said, listen to me. God didn't die and leave the job to you, Okay. He said, well, I'm just telling the truth in love. I'm going to tell you something. There wasn't much love in it. Not much love at all in it. And there's some of us in the life of the church, if we're going to dwell in Christ, if the word of Christ is going to dwell in us, then we've got to figure out what it means to have relationships that are marked by accountability, but also marked by gratitude and thanksgiving. When I was in seminary, there were two other guys in my class, and we, we loved to hang out with each other. After class, we, in fact, we had this one class that met three days a week, and I loved those because our wives were all working to put us through school. We all had jobs, right? But, but, but really, our, our wives were the breadwinners. And, and so what we would do is we would, 
we figured out that the Pizza Hut buffet was the cheapest place we could eat while our wives were at work. And so we would, on those three days a week, in fact, one of the guys, it would be like, we, at class, you got enough money? Well, just a minute. I'm just telling you what really happened. We would stop by his apartment where he would get money for the Pizza Hut buffet out of his child's piggy bank for us to go eat, right? We were that close. His boy's now 40. We've never told him that. No, I'm just saying. <laughs> but but, but what, what we would do is we became very, we, we'd talk about the stuff we learned in class. We'd talk about ministry. And the three of us made a pact with each other. It was one of those things because we had read something or heard something from a pastor that really wasn't very biblical. It didn't, didn't fit in the context of Scripture. And so the three of us made this agreement that if any of us ever did that, we gave the other two permission to call us. Call us on it. Make sure we stay biblical. Can I tell you, that that's been several decades. Those guys relish the opportunity to call me, all right? I can remember writing something and having it published and, and then one of them called me because when we left seminary, I went to Tennessee and one of them went to Ohio and one of them went to Michigan. And, and I remember one day getting my secretary buzzing back and said, there's some pastor from Ohio. I said, what's his name? She gave me the name. I said, oh yeah, put him through. First words out of his mouth. Hey, Carrie, that's stupid. What you wrote is wrong. Here's the correction. I'm like, oh man. I had to write a retraction because he was right. I was wrong. And I was never so thankful. I didn't get mad. Because I knew what? I knew his heart was for me. And my heart was for him. See, you don't have the right to correct another follower of Jesus unless your heart is for them. Because as I read the scripture, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict us of our sin. Sometimes he uses other voices to speak to us. And before you get too excited about being one of those voices, remember the voice he used for Balaam came out of his donkey's mouth. So be careful. But understand that if you really want to be healthy, you've got to build some things into your life that will help you you want to be a worshiping person it's more than it's more than just going to church every week it's about having your life changed by the word of Christ dwelling in you richly and then when you find that balance of of the of the accountability and the gratitude God begins to do something in your life see worshiping people live with a consistency in Christ in every area of their life. Now, it doesn't mean they're perfect. It doesn't mean they never make a mistake or never fail. It means that, they, that they've made such a commitment to, to letting the gospel of Jesus dwell in them, to, to being held accountable and, and developing hearts of gratitude, that, that what happens in their life is that they become consistent in their values, consistent in their actions, consistent in their thought processes, consistent in their relationships, consistent in all. That's what, that's what Paul's talking about to these people in Corinth. 
He's saying, or I'm sorry, in Colossae, he's saying, listen, the, 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 this heresy that's going on is this synthesis of ideas that don't really work together because they're trying to tell you a different gospel than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what I want you to do is I want you in everything to be people who are centered in Christ. In everything, I want you to be people who are willing to be who he wants you to be. And then what I want you to do is I want you to be that way whatever you do. In everything you do, do it in the name of the Lord. Give thanks to God through the Father, God the Father through Jesus Christ. See, if we're gonna be untoxic, healthy people in a toxic, unhealthy world, then, then we've gotta find this place where being with Jesus is what guides our life. All all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, record a story. A story about a, a religious, rather wealthy, powerful young man who came to Jesus in the midst of Jesus' popularity. Thousands of people were following Jesus. The crowds were pressing in everywhere Jesus went. People were being healed. People's lives were being changed. Demons were being cast out. And, and this this rich young ruler showed up and he looked at Jesus and he said, good teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus was so busy, actually, one of, the, one of the writers tells us that there were little children around. This is right after Jesus had said, let the little children come to me. Then he kind of looks up from the kids and says to the man, well, Keep the commandments. You know the commandments. And the man responds, I, I've kept the commandments. I've kept the commandments all of my life since I was a little boy. I've done the right things. See, he asked a, a what must I do question. So Jesus responded with a do this. But then when he said, oh, I've already done that, Jesus looks up and says, you're right, you have. There's one thing you're missing. You, you, need to, you need to sell everything you've got. And a lot of us stop right there and go, whoa, what? Sell everything you've got, give it to the poor. Now, if, we just, if Jesus just stopped there, he was asked a what do I do question. He gave a here's what you do answer. But that's not where Jesus stopped. Jesus didn't just tell him, oh, get rid of your wealth. No, no, he said, he said, what I want you to do is get rid of that, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. See, what Jesus did was he took a do question and he turned it into a be answer. Because what he said was, I want you to be with me. Let go of everything else in your life. What he was inviting him to is a Christocentric, Christ-centered dwelling in the word of Christ, relationship. And that, my friends, never separates. It always unites. That, my friends, is where worship comes from. That, my friends, is what changes lives forever. And whether you're with us today on campus or online or later this week on demand, my question for you is this. 
Are you willing to be a follower of Jesus? To worship him? To worship God and God alone? Or do you still have stuff that gets between you and Jesus? And if you do, this morning I want to invite you to let that go. We're going to sing a song. And as we sing this song, I'm going to ask you to take just a moment or two and listen to God's Spirit and ask Him to tell you what's come between you and Him. And then I'm going to invite you to have the courage to kick that idol down and really follow Jesus.